seat by the fire. Welcome to the lost cabin somewhere in rural Massachusetts in the forgotten woods of a vanished town. Sit back and warm yourself. Listen to a tale of a lost place so strange that even before it was a lost place the people who lived there were not even sure what state they lived in. And even within this uncertainty there was a no-man's land. Prepare to travel with Lost Massachusetts into the Oblong. I just turned off of the main highway, I guess if you can call it that, Route 22, in New York, actually, not in Massachusetts, and I turned onto Quaker Hill Road in a town called Pauling, Massachusetts, Pauling, Massachusetts, Pauling, New York. I turned onto a road called Quaker Hill in Pauling, New York. Why am I in Pauling, New York, which is near Poughkeepsie? Well, we're about to find out. Welcome. So, in this episode, we're going to a very strange place in time. <clears throat> we always go to strange places and strange places in time, but in this case, I want you to imagine a world where not only the towns of Thompson, Connecticut, Enfield, Connecticut, Salisbury, Connecticut, and all the towns in between were part of Massachusetts. Even Stonington on the south coast of Connecticut was part of Massachusetts. Long Island, New York was part of Connecticut. Rye, New York was part of Connecticut. In fact, most of the Hudson River was part of Connecticut. And then Stony Brook and New Haven, Connecticut, were kind of like their own countries. It was madness, I tell you. But the strangest of all was a narrow strip of land between Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York that neither of these three states thought they controlled or were even sure who controlled it. And that was just fine for the people who lived there. We touched upon this in uh, Season 1, Episode 14, The Lost Corner, a.k.a. Hell's Acre. This covered a literal lost piece of Massachusetts, the lower left-hand corner that was torn off, a wound that can still be seen today. You should listen to that episode to get background and additional information. I'll wait here while you do that. Actually, while we're waiting, uh, I will read and acknowledge messages from our lost masters, our fellow explorers. And some of this is really long overdue. And I hate it when podcasters 
apologize for not releasing episodes for a long period of time. So I'm not going to do it. This email is from Rebecca. Hello, slow day here at work while I deliver auto parts. And I've been listening to your podcast. I especially like the postcard episode and the one about the Ursuline convent. Have you read The Devils of Loudon or Huxley or seen the movie The Devils starring Oliver Reed? It's a true story about an Ursuline convent that becomes entangled in a complex situation resulting in even more disturbing ending. Anyway, my dad loves collecting postcards and hunting for boxes of them at flea markets during Sunday mornings. He is actually out exploring the Mohawk Trail today, like he does every year, but I can't wait to share the podcast with him. And uh, we can't wait either. And um, thanks for letting us know where we can send a postcard. It is on the way. Jeffrey says, here's my new address. I want to make sure I don't miss any of these and keep them coming. On the way, Jeffrey. Stephanie says, I would love to get a postcard. Sure, no problem. It's from Rihanna. Uh, We live in Boston and we both love the dark and macabre. I just found your podcast and I am so hooked on it. We visit Dogtown on the regular to hike, and we are always looking for new spooky places to check out. We'd love to receive some postcards so we can plan our next trip. On the way. Heidi from all the way in Phoenix, Arizona wants a postcard, and we just sent you one. This is from... uh, Who is this from? Jordan. I uh, started listening to the podcast a while back to save it for whenever I got caught up on my other mostly true crime podcasts. Getting married in a schooner ship, and uh, my fiance and I are both huge history nerds, and we like to listen while we're doing our wedding planning. I really hope that you find other things to listen to while you're doing such important planning, but hey, I'll take it. Um, love to get postcards and uh, learn about our corner of the world postcards on the way Ursula says I would like to receive postcards I enjoy your podcast and she put in two exclamation points Laszlo from Arizona says "Uh, I realize how much history I missed from Massachusetts thank you very cool so people can hear the show all the way out in the southwest That's amazing. Jessica from Roslindale has also joined in the postcard fun. Diane from Billerica says, I love hearing about some of the interesting facts in history. You do a great job. I really appreciate it. Um, That's wonderful. Thank you very much. So again, if you want to contact us and you want to get one of our postcards from a lost place, go to lostmassachusetts.com and click on the link that says get a postcard. Or if you go to that website, you'll also be able to find our mailbox. And if you send us a postcard to that mailbox, we will respond. Of course, if there's an address in there. So these were all um, direct emails or web-based forms from the site. 
Uh, next time we'll dig into our Instagram account and uh, we'll talk about some of the comments there and folks that have uh, liked our photos, liked the podcast on Instagram. Uh, we will follow you back. We'll try and follow you back if your account is not private and um, we'll see you there. And we post a lot of other stuff there that isn't necessarily directly related to an episode, but maybe interesting historical information, a tidbit, an artifact, something that we've come across that uh, we want to share with the audience. So if you want to be part of the fun, there are multiple ways you can get a hold of us through the Instagram account, Lost Massachusetts through the website lostmassachusetts.com and through any one of the um, the messaging options within the podcasting software. Although not in every case do we get them because we don't have accounts set up necessarily at every single place where the podcast is published, although we do try. Now let's get back to our story. Truly beautiful country up here. It looks a lot like Western Massachusetts, if I have to say. I mean, it's more ski country and less like a flat uh, kind of what you would expect in Connecticut. And uh, a lot of beautiful farms here and places to stay, things to do. Before we can talk about what the oblong is, what is an oblong to begin with? It's not a word that people might be familiar with. It's somewhere between a rectangle and an oval. It's a shape that looks like a rectangle, but might not be. Generally something longer than it is wide. A loaf of bread is sometimes considered oblong. Vitamin pills are considered to be oblong. And this is made even more confusing by the fact that some dictionaries claim that an oblong is a rectangle. But whatever. Now, let's just take it for what it is. What is the geographical feature that we're talking about? How did it originate? Well, one might imagine it would be simple to draw three straight lines that meet at a point in order to define the borders of Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. But apparently, it's not easy at all. Even today, if you try and follow these lines, your eyes might get a little blurry. Try it 300 years ago, and you'll get a headache. This is a relic of the constantly shifting borders between the three states that created a phantom state in between them. The oblong itself can be extended into another shape uh, called the Connecticut Panhandle when it included Greenwich and Stamford. But it actually looks more like a toothbrush to me than a pan. This is because Connecticut's claims ran all the way up and even into Massachusetts for years. The oblong itself can even be seen on modern road maps today. Look carefully at the Connecticut-New York border and you will see this long, odd shape stuck between Route 22 and the state line. That is an artifact of the defunct railroad line that came down from Boston Corner and also the surveying work that occurred over hundreds of years. 
Why was the border so problematic? Simple answer. In colonial times, New York was Dutch, Massachusetts was English, and Connecticut was a shifting mix of both. For some additional background, listen to episode 25 on Dutch Massachusetts. Because of the uncertainty about the border, a group of people took advantage of the situation to try and carve out their own place in between the colonies. Before we return to my road trip through the oblong and the history itself, let's learn about another archaic word that we can add to our vocabulary. Now archaic words from my double set New Century Dictionary, 1927. Ruffler, R-U-F-F-L-E-R. One of a class of bullying vagabonds, common in the 16th century, also a swaggering fellow, as in the meanest ruffler who with broken feather and tarnished face swaggered at the heels of Turin from S.J. Wyman's A Gentleman of France. Ruffler. One word. Ice cream. If you're going on a road trip, Especially in the summer, you're going to want to stop for ice cream. If you're going out to Western Mass and you're anywhere near Hadley, Massachusetts, you have to go to Maple Valley Farms to get their ice cream. I just went there because I read about the ice cream, but when we got there, there was a taco truck, there was live music. a little refrigerator truck pulled up with beer taps on the side of it. There was um, just gorgeous farmland landscape for miles. The owner came out and chatted us up. There were cows and goats and sheep and chickens wandering around. So what better place can you imagine uh, to get some fantastic ice cream? Like I said, it's in uh, Hadley, Massachusetts, 102 Mill Valley Road. Stop by, you won't be disappointed. So I think I found it uh, sticking out of the road on the side. And I've been driving on this road for a while and not seeing much. There is a big rock sticking up that's covered in snow. And I think as I get closer, it does look like to be the right spot. I'm trying to find a a safe place to pull over because there isn't really much and the shoulder is really sort of uh, steep. I'm going to try and pull in as far as I can without tipping over and then I'll put my hazards on. Yes, so I'm on this uh, very quiet road. There's actually a car approaching just as I say that, just as I was about to say there are no cars on this road and I'm approaching this stone with a plaque, and the plaque is covered in snow. I'm going to have to clear the snow off. Yes, and the sheriff actually stopped to ask me if I was okay. 
It was very nice of him to do that. I appreciate it. So I'm standing here in front of the plaque, and it says, The Oblong. This marker denotes the western boundary of a Connecticut under an agreement reached in 1683 between Governor Thomas Donegan of New York and Governor Robert Treat of Connecticut. Later, the Treaty of Dover, signed on May 14, 1731, moved the western border of Connecticut about two miles farther to the east. The present border between the two states, uh, thus creating the area since known as the Oblong, 60 miles long and approximately two miles wide, extending from the southern border of Massachusetts to Long Island Sound erected by the Historical Society of Quaker Hill and vicinity. And behind the stone, there's a cemetery, and I'm going to take a quick look at that, too. As you pass through the Oblong, there is one word and place name you will run across over and over again. Quaker. Quakers were one of many Protestant breakaways from the Church of England trying to find their place in the colonies. Quakers had a number of core beliefs that led to their persecution. In particular, their belief in absolute equality, which meant that women could also preach the gospel. Quakers refused to take oaths. They rejected most secular authority, opposed slavery, and did not participate in wars against the French or in the Revolution. Massachusetts actually made it illegal to be a Quaker in 1658, and the famous Mary Dyer was hanged in Boston for refusing to leave the colony or repent her supposed sins. You can see her memorial outside the State House in Boston. Given this circumstance, you can imagine the relief various Quaker communities in New England felt when they learned that Quaker surveyor Nathan Birdsdall discovered this unclaimed land between the English and Dutch colonies. Birdsdall sent word out to various Quaker families who purchased land and flocked to the area. The Quaker zone thrived and swelled in population. Since most of the inhabitants came from the east, New York became concerned that Connecticut was basically pushing its border further and further west which was claimed by Connecticut all the way to the Pacific Ocean. For its part, New York claimed all the land to the Connecticut River. The border actually changed in 1642, 1650, 1664, 1674, 1683, 1700, 1713, 1717, 1725, and while the Oblong was granted to New York officially in 1731, the border wasn't truly settled until after the Revolutionary War. As for the Quakers, their peace and attempts at a simple life in the disputed territory was divided by a number of events. The brutality of the English crown and the colonies turned many of Americans away from pacifism. A difference of philosophies within the Quaker community created two separate societies in 1826. For the Oblong in particular, this peaceful pastoral landscape was disrupted by a major railroad that brought travelers far and wide to the formerly remote region. In particular, it became a popular vacation spot for people from New York City. 
the budding modern world seemed bent on erasing the oblong. But you can still see it, and I'll tell you how to get there after the commercial. Directions to the Oblong. If you have driven on Interstate 84 between New York and Connecticut or down Route 22 in New York or cross the state line on 44, 41, 55, 121, you've basically been through the mystical Oblong and did not realize it. However, if you want to go to the official site of the Oblong where the historical marker is, you'll have to go to Pauling, New York. On Route 22 and Pauling find Quaker Hill Road, which is Rural Route 67. Take this long winding road until you find the marker, which is next to a cemetery. It is between Glen Arden Road and the Cloverbrook Farm. Like I said, parking is treacherous and driving through the side roads of this area can be a little dicey if you're not used to narrow country roads. There is a second historical marker at the Oblong Meeting House in Quaker Hill at Quaker Hill Road and Meeting House Road. This was a meeting house and a hospital during the Revolutionary War. If you want to explore the entire length of the Oblong, you can start on Route 22 in Boston Corner, drive south until you get to Peach Lake, New York, and then take Route 121 until you get to Cross River. How you get home from there, I have no idea but I will provide maps in the show notes. Thank you for taking the long, quiet journey with us to a phantom state at the most distant edge of a lost Massachusetts town Next time, we will visit a Massachusetts town that you can technically go to, but it really only exists in people's minds. People think it's a real municipality, and they may be shocked to find out that it isn't. Until then, keep your eyes on the road, stay awake, find a place to rest if you're driving through a storm, and most importantly, don't get lost passing through the oblong. We'll see you next time on Lost Massachusetts. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, 
There are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog. Or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place and find out where to send us a lost postcard too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun.